Oh, what? What's with you, man? You haven't said anything for like 20 minutes. What the hell's your problem? Said Randall. Dante replied, This life? Randall asked, This life? Dante said, Why do I have this life? Randall said, Have some chips. You'll feel better. Recognize this movie's quote? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Um... Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Ben. And Tyler. Thanks for joining us. Ben and Tyler host the three films and a podcast podcast, which also consists of geographically challenged co-hosts exploring movies. You may remember Ben from our World of Apu, Shin Godzilla, and I Know What You Did Last Summer episodes. Tyler also joined us previously for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hey guys, do you still enjoy movies? Conveniently, we do. Yeah. Depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, And in round two, each question is worth two points. Then once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are continuing to explore movies that defined a director by going back to 1994 to visit Kevin Smith's first movie, Clerks. Kevin Smith is also known for Mallrats, Dogma, and Jersey Girl. Other movies in 1994 include Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction, which we'll be exploring later this season, and another classic, Billy's Folly, which we have covered on this show earlier. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, what is Clerks all about? To sum it up, you know what the real tragedy is? I'm not even supposed to be here today. For the audience, we happen to be recording on an atypical night, so I feel just as connected to this film at this moment as I did in the 90s. Tom, if you only had one word to describe Clerks, what would it be? Responsibility. Ben? Sundance. Tyler? Nostalgic. And my word would be indie. It's time for question one. And I will say, I, I, we enforce the honor code with our locked-in policy here. So I, especially tonight, because I think some of these questions, if one person even gets a hint of it, they may get some other memories of what happened. So I'm going to trust this honor code here tonight. When you lock in, you're locked. <laughs> so here we go. Oh, my God, you lawhorn. <laughs> or, you, or you could just cheat. It's a lot easier. No, don't cheat. It'll be much more fun. Mm -hmm. Question one, how many guys did Dante's girlfriend not sleep with? Oh, locked in. Locked in. Oh, okay. I get it. I was, I was confused by the phrasing. That was my point. <laughs> do we have to do the math? <laughs> so everyone's locked in. And I think it's going to be fun to start off with this, uh, throwing this grenade <laughs> to see how we can talk about this in a somewhat clean manner, but we'll see how it goes. Who was, for, who was last to lock in? That would be me. Okay, Tyler, start us out. 
Um, I put three. I don't actually remember. And what sucks is I told myself to remember this because I knew this would be a question <laughs> and I still forgot. Mm. So, <laughs> but I guess three. Ben? Uh, 36, not including Dante. Tom? I'm so... We this know, is why the lock-in policy is there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the problem with the question is it's, it's she uh, uh, satisfied 36 men. She slept with three. I don't know what the overlap is between the people she slept with and the people she satisfied. Yeah, so what's I'm that gonna, Venn diagram look like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go with and, the and, knowledge we have from the movie. Uh, I'm going to say 36, not 37, because Dante clearly was abetted fellow so 36 based on the information we have at our disposal i'm going to say the answer is 36 i do understand there could have been some potential overlap yeah. tyler it was who she didn't world. not who she did yeah. i was i was so confused by the phrasing i was like it has to be the more difficult one to remember <laughs> that, that's why i'm three. here <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this was a very deep a film very mm. deep very yeah deep. right <laughs> Well, to start this one off, the reason I went with this question is the style of humor, specifically the crude humor. When I think of this movie, that really jumps out at me. And at the time period when I was watching this in my life, the first time I should say, I was all about this. So I, I thought we should talk about it now. Has it aged differently? You know, where we feel about this? I think it's uh, interesting. I I'm with you. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, this is funny. I like all this, whatever. And then rewatching this, some of it was like, oh man, I didn't remember it being this much. Um, I, I think back often. So like I got my degree in film. I had to do like a, a master's like project thing and Tyler was involved with it. And uh, we you know, wrote a script, we shot it, all this kind of stuff. And I showed it to my class and like the hardest critique I got from someone is like, nobody is that witty all the time. And all I could think of was like, <laughs> you know, clerk, Pulp Fiction stuff. Cause that's what I was trying to do. Like mm -hmm. my professor literally said, don't have people sitting around a table at a diner. And that's exactly what I did. I was like, cool. Mm -hmm. If that's what you're telling us not to do, that's what I want to try. <laughs> uh, and I felt that way watching clerks. It's like, man, nobody's this witty all the time. It's like, mm -hmm. I think I understand what that person was like critiquing <laughs> our film for, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day. It finally connected, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So um, I don't know. Like, yeah, some of the humor didn't work for me. Uh, some of it was, you know, you could tell, I think that Kevin Smith was writing for himself at certain points. And he was like, I want to say this, I want to say that. And I think it's a lot like a, a debut album. Like you have your whole life to write your first album. Then you have two years to write your next one. I feel like this is like Kevin Smith just had his whole life of jokes that he wanted to get out in clerks and he just threw all of it into the dialogue and some of it works great. And some of it, I, I don't know how well it's aged or how necessary it was, but. Yeah, I mean, as far as how it aged, like I sort of look at it the same way I like I had conversations in my own life, right? Like that's why I chose the word nostalgic to describe the movie because I used to work in a skateboard shop back when I was younger and like, we couldn't have cared less who was in the store and who wasn't in the store, whether, you know, we put stuff on TV that we shouldn't have put on there, like mm -hmm. the conversations we were having, like nothing quite as crude or crass as this, but like, certainly there was times when it was close, maybe even worse, who knows, you know? And like, so I just kind of like look at it. I wouldn't do that now. So whether it's, so the, the movie doesn't even age, it sort of is just like time stamped in my mind. Like, there's there are some movies that don't get a pass like that from me. I can't think of an example right now, but there's times when I'm watching stuff like, ugh, 
that was rough. Like that shouldn't have ever been okay. But for whatever reason, for this movie, I feel like everything they talked about was just the same sort of conversations you might have with your friends. And, and they just happened to put it on camera. You know what I mean? Like for whatever reason, this movie got a pass for all the things that are problematic. The specific scene that makes me think of a conversation I have with my friends, it actually was one of the less crude conversations, but it was the one about the uh, Death Star and Star Wars mm. and the independent contractors who were oh, yeah. on there and got killed. Like that is some stupid conversation we would we would maybe even still have, but like that oh, one was very relatable to me at that time. And even, you know, recollecting now or just like being nostalgic about some of the silly, you know, diner conversations we would have had, that's, that hits home. <laughs> yeah, it apparently was going to be released NC-17 and they hired... Um, a big name lawyer. I think he actually represented OJ <laughs> at one point. Uh, Alan Dershowitz. That's it. Alan Dershowitz <laughs> to like you know to to push the the MPAA to a, a rated R so it could actually be released. Which is interesting because I remember as a kid seeing this. I think I saw this in the eighth grade, like around then. Which is the time to see it, right? Because you're just you're angry and totally. and horny and, and and all those things. Um, at least I was. And uh, <laughs> uh, and like I, you know, I thought it was really funny and crude and liked the crudity. And now watching it, the the crude stuff seems almost quaint. Like it seems like somebody's trying to upset me, which I, I usually end up finding very cute as opposed to upsetting, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that had um, more the feel. Uh, I will say there is, even with the crudity, a sort of feeling of, of I'll call it 90s eighth grade, which is, speaking of Venn space, is a very small Venn space for the people who are in eighth grade sometime in the 1990s. Because um, it just, it feels like that kind of post-grunge malaise um, where people are, are trying to, and it's also eighth grade because people are trying to show each other up as to how like badass you're trying to be via just mm -hmm. saying something vile or, or what have you. Um, so that was kind of my relationship to the, the crude elements in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's spot on. I think I, I, think I was in, Eighth grade. When were we in eighth grade, Ben? I think it was like nineteen ninety-eight. I think, right? Six something. Yeah. So it's like 90, yeah. I think it was ninety-six, ninety-seven for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's spot. That's I mean, that's spot on. Like that's exactly what this dialogue is to me. It's just like people saying things for the sake of saying them. You know, just for the sake of of being shocking, right? Like to me, like like Ben pointed out, it just felt like Kevin Smith is like these are all the things that I want to say. These are conversations that my friends and I have, and I put together all this money and I'm going to make this movie. And, you know, I bought this film, like this is what we're doing. And it just, it was that it was just him trying to push some envelope somewhere. No, no. I was going to say, I, I feel like uh, there was so much, but so little packed in everything Jay said. Like, I think he got like <laughs> the most offensive stuff, but just like in mm -hmm. the least amount of time, like you're just like the like insults or offense per minute. I think Jay was uh, killing it. Called the Jason Muse ratio. Yeah. I wonder what an eighth grader today would say if they watched this film, because it's a very different world now. But they probably totally. would like it, right? Like would they, they? Like, would it transition yeah, so. like well, or would I think they be like so, this because is I mean, there's, there's a difference. Like nobody has phones, right? Nobody's talking about like these people would be talking about social media if if it was made today, right? But yeah. I mean, there's still the same. There's still the same idea of like in the. You know, the thing about the eighth grade is you have like no control over your life. 
um, you really want to have sex. <laughs> it's the first time in your life where, you know, right around the first time in your life, like where that's something you're thinking about a lot. Um, Girls don't and, have cooties anymore, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and also like, authority sucks it's the first time we're like no i'm a person i'm independent from authority the people who are telling me what to do i don't necessarily want to make them happy you know like the way you right. do in elementary school so subtract the social media stuff and the kind of social media dynamics and i think people would identify that identify the, te with the teenage angst remains huh yeah, totally. yeah i mean it's it's punk rock right like they i think mm -hmm. kids would still like it for the same reason they might still like I don't know, Ben and, ben and I played in a Misfits tribute band a long time ago. <laughs> okay. So like a lot of the songs mm -hmm. we would play uh, at, at our shows, like I think kids still uh, gravitate to now just because it is that lo-fi punk rock. They say bad words and they, they, you know, they do and say things you're not supposed to do. And it seems this, the way these characters act is what you think adults act like when you're a kid, right? Like the cool, this is what you think the cool adults are doing. And I also wanted to, when you talked about social media, it reminded me, I watched this on my phone. Like I couldn't get my computer to connect to the internet. So I had to use the my phone to just watch off my um, cell service. And I just couldn't help but think like, this is exactly how Randall or Dante would be spending their time at work is watching this movie <laughs> on their oh, phone. So that was like yeah. a beautiful bit of poetry. <laughs> yeah, they, they wouldn't, kids today wouldn't understand the video store allure. Right. Like when Randall goes into the video store and they're playing like the dramatic music and he falls down on his knees like that, that I get entirely. I remember my video store. Oh, yeah. I could Every Friday night to other video stores. Yeah yeah. 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 You know, that kind of like sanctuary they wouldn't get. Um, but having an equivalent online somewhere would be. Yeah. Uh, and it's also interesting because these are a, these are people who I think what's what's interesting about the movie is these are people who appeal to like eighth, ninth, seventh graders who really shouldn't be appealing to, you know, people. They should have grown up by this point or, or start to do something. And that's that's the sort of uh, uh, stasis or paralysis of the movie is the unfortunate looking cool to eighth graders is kind of unfortunate. It's kind of an unfortunate place to be in. I don't know if I officially said who got any points, but Tom and Ben got one point each on that one. And we're gonna move on to question two. It's time for question two. Dante's not even supposed to be here today. What does his girlfriend bring in to cheer him up? Locked in. Locked, Locked. in. Okay, I think Ben, you're gonna start us out. Um, the Garfield dish, lasagna. Tyler? Lasagna, baby lasagna okay yep. point uh, everyone gets a point across the board there so you know there's a million lasagna. fine looking women in the world dude but they don't all bring you lasagna at work silent it's bob true. is yeah. one line well technically i think he also says they the other ones just cheat on you or something like yeah. that but, but the lasagna part was what mattered what really matters is i want to talk about the characters this film was made by kevin smith with maxing out his credit cards using all of his Ten friends of them together yeah credit cards <laughs> yeah using i think it was like 27 grand or something like that and he just wanted to do what we all want to do we want to get all our friends together and make a movie and this man actually did it and it got a giant following i want to talk about the characters that he developed vis-a-vis -vis his friends 
in this film? I think it's, uh, you know, pretty clear. It's, it's in the trivia and stuff too, but it was clear that Kevin Smith was writing Randall for himself because he got like, I think the best jokes in there. Um, but one of my favorite pieces of trivia out here is that he wasn't supposed to say that, you know, not all girls bring you lasagna at work, but I guess Jay like couldn't get through it, the line. And so it's like, it's the one thing we hear silent Bob say, and it happens to be like, you know, the most like prophetic, whatever of, uh, of the whole movie. And I, I really enjoy that. That's one of my favorite things about the skewed universe is the Jay and silent Bob aspect of it. I really enjoy those characters. And I feel like, when you work these kind of jobs, you run into these kind of people, you make these friends or you, you've dealt with these customers, things like that. Um, so I, I love the characters that he built here because we got to, I, I feel like if you've worked any kind of retail job, you've met everybody that shows up in this movie. <laughs> I didn't know that he was truly supposed to be Simon Bob. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't yeah. either until I read that. But I was like, yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense. And that's, I think it's cool. That's the one thing that like he got to say, but yeah. Mostly silent, watching, Bob. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Tyler and I worked out uh, at, you know, the airport for like, I don't know, almost 15 years, something. You just have these coworkers where it's like, you can just say the person's name to each other. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I can't stand this person. And that's the kind of thing you get with these characters. Like, you know, that Dante and Randall have this shorthand with each other where it's like, it may not be another coworker, but like the kind of person that comes in, you know, that, that mom, it's like, what about these two movies? It's like, I don't know. I don't watch movies lately. <laughs> you know, it's like, you just treat everybody like that. So I really enjoyed these characters. They, for me, they felt really full and just like, yeah, I understood them. Totally. I was going to save this for the movie rant later, but I might as well just do it now. I didn't know that he wrote Randall for himself. I mean, you can tell, right? Like the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, he's Dante. Like, oh no, he's Randall. Like, oh no, he's actually Silent Bob. And I think like what I, what I decided, this is just me being armchair psychologist, is Dante was like who he was afraid he was going to be. Randall's who he really like wants to be, who he like wishes he was. And Silent Bob is who like he actually is. Like pretty grounded. He's pretty chill with everyone. And he just is like, has a smart thing to say here and there. You know what I mean? And, and I thought that was kind of cool. And I think, like you said, Nick, it's just like what everyone wants to do, right? Like you write what you know when you're, when you're first starting to write stuff and you, if you can get everyone together and you can, you have your, your crazy coked out buddy that you just love with all your heart, which I think is beautiful. Uh, they're like, they're actual friends at Jason Muse and uh, Kevin mm -hmm. Smith's actual friendship is just beautiful to me. I've seen some of like, I was actually watching an interview um, that Jason Mewes did with Steve-O not too long ago. And he talks about how much Kevin Smith has helped him and helped him stay, you know, get clean and try to stay clean and all that. It's really cool. I don't know. I just thought, I just think it's, it's really sweet. And I just, it's just fun to start to watch these movies thinking about these sorts of things. And I, I think that's the thing I liked most about watching it, watching this movie again was just picking up on that and just, I don't know, kind of getting that warm feeling in my heart, you know. <laughs> a slight tangent, just randomly recently, KJ was going through an old hard drive and he found a script that Tom and I wrote from, funny enough, this middle school period of time. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of funny to see what we had done back then. And it just, I was like, hey, maybe totally. we should do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it's the best 
part of the movie. I mean, the, the, this movie in upon revisiting is rough. It's, it's, you know, um, I, I know, I think it was selected for the national register of the historical projects or whatever they call it, but it, it, it's a rough movie. What makes it admirable, I think is this sort of balls out approach of, um, of its director and writer, right. Of just, just throwing every dollar and more dollars than you have at something, making it happen. Um, I think he did work at that convenience store and, that's why the the shutters don't open. You know, they added that plot about the gum because they could only film at night because it was open during the day. So they had to explain why they couldn't they couldn't have the window open. Oh. Um, yeah. So he which ends worked... up being one of the best parts of the movie that the constant like yes I guess we're open I sure you were open like I want that yeah. on a t shirt like with that exact <laughs> font and everything like it's it's iconic. It, it, yeah, it makes it makes Dante's life that much more intolerable, right? Is that he has to deal, he has to admit to the world over and over and over again that he is operating this place that he hates, right? He can't just do it. He has to keep saying it again and again. Um, but I think that is the, the best part of the movie or the admirable thing about the movie is the just the making of it, you know, just the the putting that type of thing together. The, the, the sort of entrepreneurial spirit of it, which you know, uh, Kevin Smith has had a good career. I won't say I like his movies all that much, but he's, you know, he's he made, made something big of out of it. I mean, yeah, he's been very successful. He's also been very successful as kind of a stand up, um, as successful as a sort of host for various venues. Don't like forget his TV. comic book store. <laughs> it literally had a TV show based off. Of yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's, he seems to be a workhorse of sorts. And regardless of talent level, watching somebody just produce is, is an admirable thing. I, I think for my, my reading, um, Jay and Silent Bob are kind of like collectively the fool from um, from whatever play you think, like King Lear or, or whatnot. All these courts had these jesters or these fools. And the idea with them is that they were so low that they could tell the king the truth and even, even in kind of a jabbing or mocking way. And the idea is if you got mad at the fool, there was something wrong with you for getting mad at somebody so low. And that's how I think of them. Like they're able to, at the end to kind of tell Dante the truth and he's able to actually accept it because of the in this food chain at this this whatever this grocery store this gas station what have you uh, they are clearly the lowest of the low right they're the drug dealers outside and they're in the end the only people who can actually say the truth Randall can too to a degree at the end of round one Tom and Ben are tied with two points each and Tyler is not far behind with one. No. We'll be right back for round two after this brief message from one of our valued sponsors. Hello, and, and welcome, welcome back, back to B-Side. B -side. B -side. Finally, it is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. 
We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. If you could write your own sequel for Clerks, what would be the plot? Who would like to go first? So when I saw this, I thought it would be fun to, I don't know how far in the future, it doesn't really matter, but Dante, in order to grow up and, and, and uh, win the heart of whichever woman it is that's in his life <laughs> at this point, um, he buys the convenience store and he buys the video store and now Randall works from him and so now we have to watch Dante try to deal with all these people that were his peers, and now he has to try and manage them, and he has to deal with Jay and Silent Bob outside. I think that would be really fun. I think it would also be really fun if somehow Randall got involved dealing with Jay to some degree, and Dante had to deal with that, and maybe there was some sort of criminal element. Um, but that would be my pitch, and I actually do really want to see that movie. So if Kevin, if you're listening... Let's do this. I wonder how big of a time jump, you know, how far forward it would be. It'd be funny if they were like really older and they were still stuck in that same location. Totally. <laughs> it sounds like a combination of Breaking Bad and Clerks. <laughs> right. That would be great. Breaking Clerks. Breaking Clerks. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Or great. Clerking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's well, better. Actually, there we go. That's... Actually, that one fits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I just kind of want to see Tyler's, but my, my first thought with this is like, I know we have a clerk sequel, but I kind of wish this had just been able to stand on its own. I think it's such an interesting story. I wish it could have just like been like that, but I'm curious to see like what a day in the life is like at the movie store, like just like let's go hang out with Randall and see what that's like. I know he's like our central character here is Dante and I get that, but I'm kind of curious to see what that's like. And even just like flipping the script, like let's have like silent Bob and Jay run it. Like I want to see silent Bob at the convenience store, like not talking to people as they're like asking him questions. (laughs) And I want to see Jay giving whatever movie recommendations he could get to people coming in. Like, what should I watch? Like, Oh my God, let me tell you. (laughs) It's like just kind of going after it. I think that'd be a lot of fun, but um, yeah, I don't know. I overall, I just kind of want to see Tyler's. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's a nice vote of confidence. <laughs> I like the idea of Dante and Randall have to go do something. Like we see them go do other things, mm. and they close down the store in the meantime. They go to awake and they go play hockey and whatnot. Mm. But I do like the idea of like they're gonna they got to be gone. They got to drive to like Vermont or something. <laughs> they don't. They, they're not gonna be back in time, so they have to have. Jay and, and Silent mm. Bob man the store. I think that's a good idea. Mm. They go find his boss. <laughs> <laughs> See, my my movie would just be them hiring a, a guy to try to fix the uh, windows outside and he just can't get that gum out. You know what I mean? It just, it's it's a sad film, but it's uh, it tries all different types sounds, of tools. And, sounds very experimental. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, there'll be a lot of crazy I mean, angles and yeah, it, it, it's going to be deep. I, I would like a post-apocalyptic movie where they're still doing the exact same things they're doing in spite of the fact that the world has ended. That for whatever reason, they're so on this track that it it just does not matter that there isn't a a United States or a New Jersey anymore. It's an unsinkable ship, this this life of their, they built for themselves. There's just no meaning in their life anyway. So (laughs) they just keep going to work. I just smashed Mad Max and mm. this movie mm. together. And it's funny because you'll have these blood, like bloodthirsty people, but they just don't, they ignore this one structure and these people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, well, it's just I, too boring. Who would... <laughs> <laughs> My brain went to uh, Shaun of the Dead in that opening sequence no. where he walks to the convenience store to like mm-hmm. get the Cornetto and stuff. It's like, yeah, what is that guy's day like in the convenience <laughs> store? It's like you know, zombies coming in and stuff. So yeah, I, think, I don't know. These are all a lot of fun. Well, and when you ask that question, like, what's that guy's day like? The real answer to this question is Jay and Silent Bob, like, and their their movies. Like, the real answer, like, Clerks 2 shouldn't have happened. I mean, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But, like, the real answer to this is, like, if if those movies, Jay and Silent Bob movies, didn't exist, like, that's what you want to see. Because that's all you can think watching this is, like, <laughs> what do these two do all day, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of you kind of know, but, like, you just, I, I found, even though I know, I still want to just hang out with those guys more than Dante and Randall because they're just so off the wall. Hey, did you see Silent Bob rocking out? I mean, he's got some moves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who'd want to hang like out? Move. Who'd want to hang out with Dante? Nobody. Oh Dante doesn't even want to hang out with Dante. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, look, what a whiny fellow he is. Yeah. I, he, I think he's the whhiniest person we've covered on Talking Pictures Trivia. By design, though. By design in the film. Yeah. yeah. I watch this with my right. girlfriend. It's like, he should never leave her because she sat on the floor of a convenience store. <laughs> like, <laughs> if that doesn't show you that someone loves you, I don't know what does. Like, yeah. That's a really good point because that floor is probably super disgusting. It's time for question three. What is the correct response to Chewbacca? <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, I'm Something... disappointed in myself. Uh, what is the correct response to someone yelling Chewbacca? Hey, these are two point questions. Okay, we had to move it up a notch. Apparently, Jesus. Uh, I'm gonna lock something in. I think I know it, but it's 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 a sketch. If anything, I yeah. Uh... I'm, I'm not going to get it, so I'll just say something. I'm locked in. Yeah, I'm locked in with, like, no, I've got, I wrote a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's either going to be amazing or a total dud. <laughs> Tyler started up. Well, I couldn't even think of anything, like, funny or witty or anything to say at all. So uh, I've got nothing. I'm in a blanket. I'm, I'm phoning it in. I'm putting a big question mark. I know it's disappointing. <laughs> I hate to do it. It could be a bad that. question design too, but <laughs> it's what it is. No, I just, it's a two-point question. This is this is where it gets real. I've okay. This, this is reality. <laughs> I've got to move on to Ben. Uh, I mean, I was just gonna say, like, you make the Chewbacca noise. Like, I can hear. Wait, wait. Can you make the noise? I cannot. <laughs> I've not had enough to drink to do that. So. Can you try to make any noise? KJ, will you insert the right here, please? Thank you, KJ. <laughs> I remember it's something like, that's my Wookiee or he's a Wookiee. Something Wookiee. Because I remember it's on the soundtrack, right? It's one of the songs on the soundtrack. And they just, I remember them yelling Wookiee. That's a Wookiee. That's my yeah, I can hear okay. them like yelling Chewbacca. Yeah. Song, but I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Okay. The point is going to go to Ben. Yeah, Your best Wookiee scream. Perfect. <laughs> ah, very good. I was hoping someone would get it and do that. <laughs> Man, that's, that's what I was going to guess. Because he goes, 
Chewbacca, he makes his noise, and then there is what a Wookiee, and there's a few different lyrics, but it, you know, it's always after they say Chewbacca, he roars in his Wookiee greatness. Ah, nice. uh, the reason I brought that one up is I, I that's again ar- around where they're doing Star Wars. That song always jumped out at me <laughs> in this mm. film, so I had to address that. But the real reason for that is let's talk about the references that come up in this film. You think about this came out in 94 like i think now we talked about you know showing this to eighth graders now it's like oh yeah they're talking about star wars like yeah but I, there weren't movies talking about star wars in 94 like this wasn't it definitely was not cool then to be like a nerd in the 90s it's a lot different than a nerd in the 2020s you know it's just like oh i love marvel and star wars like yeah everybody loves it now but back then I think D&D really was cool back show. then right you know yeah he was super cool. <laughs> <laughs> all the ladies with all this but i mean it's also interesting mainstream that's how, like, now mainstream yeah. <laughs> financed all this is selling his comic books and stuff so there are so many references in here when we talked about it earlier i love that conversation of like the independent contractors and you know the guy that comes in he's like i wouldn't take that job so uh, it was it was really cool. It was fun to see that stuff. And I mean, we get so yeah. much of it now, but it's cool to think of it back then in 94. I think Kevin Smith was not directly, but indirectly the person that introduced me to the idea of a reference, right? Like I had a friend tell me about uh, the, com- I think it's in Mallrats where he's talking about if Superman actually did impregnate Lois Lane and it would kill her. Is that Mallrats? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like, so we talked about that. We talked about the Star Wars thing. Like I had a friend that had seen all these movies and he told me about all this. And that was the first time that I like remember thinking about references in that way. And um, I, you're right, Ben. It's like, other than, I mean, after after this, we get, or around the same time, I guess, we get Tarantino starting to do it. Like, I guess it like kind of became the thing, right? Because now we're finally to a point where people that grew up watching movies are starting to make movies. I mean- I'm sure that had happened before, but it's just to the point now where like it's more accessible uh, and it's just easier for people who grew up in the 70s and 80s watching movies. They're like coming to their coming to their own and starting to make their own stuff. So it totally makes sense that people that love this medium so much would write it into their movies. But this was the first the first properties, the first intellectual properties that made me think about referencing. And it's fun that it's like, you can reference clerks and also reference star Wars at the same time. I just think that's kind of fun. Like, yeah. it's like meta referencing, right? Along those lines, when Tom and I were briefly talking about our first impressions of this film last week, this movie, the first time I saw it was at Tom's house. So when he's talking about a middle school, he brought, and this was the first movie where I realized there are other films that are not seen in the movie theater and take that approach. So I had the same kind of feel, Tyler, in, in my history of experiencing films. That was my foray into, and that's why my word was indie, independent, uh, not indie Dr. Jones. But that reference, huh? huh? Okay. Uh, but that oh, was right really... that was really my intro into something that was different for movies. Yeah, for me, it was just like, that's the first time I thought about it. I was like, oh, like... Movies are a thing that you, that are important and talked about and that like kind of matter more than just like the entertainment on your screen. Like that was something that I had internalized, but it's the first time I really thought about those things. Yeah, there, there is a postmodern element to it in the sense that 
what you start to see with something like Pulp Fiction, you see it more with Tarantino than this, but you see it a, a little bit with this as well, is that um, movies ha become so referential that they're sort of in part about the references they're making. Uh, you don't, I don't know if you have an opportunity before the 90s to do that. There might just not be enough cinema history. You see it a little bit with some things where they're referencing shows or musicals or things like that. I could think of uh, Herbert Ross's Pennies from Heaven from the early 80s did something like this. Um, but with, with especially with Pulp Fiction, like there's so many in Tarantino's work generally, there's so many references to other things that that quoting becomes part of the property itself. It becomes sort of the main aspect of the property even more than then what's originally put there is how do you recombine things? And the idea of people not doing anything sort of in a state of stasis, but talking about very exciting things that happen in movies, um, it both excites us because, you know, we, we get to, we've been in those conversations where we talk about Star Wars in, in some intelligent or maybe some not so intelligent ways. Um, but it also, the, the fact that they are, while not doing anything with their lives, constantly referencing movies, which are, you know, movies are all about kind of dramatic conflict and, and huge events and things like that. It also makes the conversation that they're having, um, uh, it makes it makes the context they're having it um, more clear in the sense that they're not they're, they themselves are not doing anything with their lives right they're kind of stuck there stuck talking about these big fantastical events lived by fictitious characters it's like there's like a Samuel Beckett thing to it I never really thought about this but now that we're talking about this time period opening up this idea of references really becoming more apparent in films. Another film that we discussed earlier this season was Scream. And you want to talk about Seth, uh, mm. I, wouldn't, I don't want to say self-referential, but referencing a genre. I mean, yeah. that's a few years after this, but it really exploded. And I, I wonder if, if we really examined it, if this mid nineties is really where this movie referencing really blew up. Yeah, it seems like there was proof of concept. So it's like, oh, this is something we can do, right? Yeah, it's the first, the pop culture kind of really seems to have like started whatever in the 70s, 80s that, you know, they're able to reference that in the 90s. Um, and so that's why I think we get that. One thing I just wanted to say is I also love how this has come full circle because in Captain Marvel, the Stanley cameo is him reading his script for Mallrats, which I think is really kind of cool that they did that. I, I watched like Kevin Smith's review of it and he said he started crying because he didn't know it was in there. It's like, oh, it's kind of cool that like, this dude who you know put 30 grand in debt to start this movie in 94 and now gets to see his stuff kind of reflected in one of his favorite like comic universes so i just thought it was that's rad cool. that they, they brought yeah. it back around for him that's awesome stuff warms my cold old heart <laughs> love hearing that kind of stuff also uh tom something you said like taught like the let's use the star wars reference as an example mm -hmm. It's a pretty clever trick for someone on a budget to make the movie feel bigger than it is, right? Because mm -hmm. once you introduce Star Wars into the conversation in the movie, like you said, your brain goes to that big movie and the, and the, and the grand scale of that movie. So it's like, in some ways, it almost makes... It, it's like you cheated and you stole you stole some of <laughs> yeah. Star Wars gravitas and put it in your movie, but in a way that works, right? Because everyone mm -hmm. can relate to having those types of conversations and it didn't cost you anything. It's yeah. Pretty clever. 
It, it is. And it also, I think for me, it also reflects on the fact that, or makes it more clear that these people are stuck. They're not doing anything right. because Star Wars is so fantastical. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like Wagner squared, right? It's, it's the biggest story in, in, in cinema. Um, and for these people to, to be talking about that kind of just reveals how unmoving they are. You know, if you ever read like right. Samuel Beckett plays, I don't you know, if like Waiting for Godot or things like that, it's people having conversations like this, but not doing anything, right? They're supposed to go somewhere and they decide not to and just have, a, and just talk. Um, and there has, that has that kind of feel. Uh, and, and I think the, you know, the, the kind of Star Wars thing is, it's really fun and we've all done it, but we're also not working in, in as clerks in convenience stores. Um, and there's also another element to it. I mean, the rental store is a haven. Not the rental store that Randall works at, but the other rental store they go to. The good movie theater. The good, uh, the good, store. <laughs> yeah, store. That Not a is, crappy one like the one I yeah, work. <laughs> that is an escape, but I mean, escape has two two elements to it, right? Which is like, it's an escape. It's a little bit of freedom from the the your life and the, the drudgery of your life, but it also means you have a kind of bland life that you have to escape from. There's a positive and negative to it that that comes up through the video store. It's also, it's simultaneously the thing holding them back, right? Like mm -hmm. rather than going out and doing something, they're just sitting there talking about a move. They, they're talking, yeah. they're worrying about the independent contractors of a fictitious, <laughs> yeah. fictitious spaceship. You know what I mean? It's Who like, isn't though, Tyler? Who isn't really worried about yeah. that? I mean, I don't know. Those, mm. those people signed a contract. They knew what they were <laughs> Are you saying they knew the risks <laughs> inherent with the job? I mean, when your boss is Darth Vader, yeah, I think you kind of have some idea. <laughs> it's time for question four. How many title cards are displayed in clerks? Oh, no. Oh. I knew there was going to be a title card question. I knew it. Locked in. Um, I don't know. Let's say I'm locked in. Smart move. Lock in first so uh, the other people get to sweat it out. You know? Okay, I, I'm locked in. I have a number. Are we doing prices right rules or yes? Just have to hit the... And if this changes your number, uh, Tyler, mm -hmm. you can update it now, but mm -hmm. it's it's the closest without going over. Okay. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. I feel good. I feel good about my that. That changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, start us up. I had 11. Okay, Tyler. I said 12. Where do you fit in this equation, Ben? Uh, price is right rules, but the opposite. I'm going 10. <laughs> so Tyler is going to get the points. There were 18 oh. different scenes with there 18 were? different nice. title cards. Oh, wow. wow. Yes. So um, wait a Oh, no. Unfortunately, it still wasn't enough, Tyler. <laughs> Oh, ben, is still, ben is still gonna take down the episode uh, very good but uh yeah no no it was it was a solid effort there at the end um i of course wanted to bring this one up we've been talking a lot about this movie the humor the characters the references but how can we forget the style and the structure this was one of the first movies that I saw in black and white that wasn't an old movie. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the limited scenes, uh, limited locations, the general style, anything that really jumped out about how he did this. And of course, we know he did it on an extreme budget, but still made it work, at least in my opinion. 
Yeah. Just to like speak to my experience that I mentioned earlier with Tyler, uh, we kind of did something similar. We didn't, you know, film for 20 days or whatever. It's just one night, but we were lucky enough to have a diner close a little early for us. And then we got it for like until like two in the morning or something. So we had to film everything right. in one night, which was, it was a lot of fun, but it does like present the challenges of like, you have one location, but I think that's where you can thrive, you know, like he does in clerks where it's like, it's all just in this one spot. I mean, the furthest away we get is the roof, you know, <laughs> like that's like, that's well, all don't forget the funeral par parlor very quickly. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Very, very quickly. We do get that. Um, so I enjoyed it. I really liked the black and white aspect of it. I just think it's really smart because it was just like, because it saved on post-production costs because like of the lighting and stuff like that. It's like, oh, if we just do everything in black and white, there's a lot less to match up later. And as, you know, someone who's done editing, like I totally get that. That makes complete sense that you would do that. So I, I love what he did. Just like, it's for me, it's the whole like idea of like, you're presented such limited options. What can you do with it? You make clerks and mm. I, I think it's awesome. Totally. And I think like, it's interesting watching it too. Like his dialogue is so specific, right? I think that's a big complaint. A lot of people have with his movies is it's really hard to do his dialogue and make it sound believable. Like everyone in this movie sounds like they're just reading off the script. Right. <laughs> but I also think that's kind of fun because I think, I think the best part of this movie is listening to Kevin Smith's dialogue. I like, I love like Tom, you, you mentioned he does a lot of speaking engagements and stuff. And I love watching those things. Like he's mm. a really great storyteller. And so to me, it like, it, it, it didn't matter that they couldn't really pull off the dialogue because it's just kind of like listening to Kevin Smith read a speech or someone, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is it didn't bother me that they were, terrible at, <laughs> at, at acting they're terrible actors yeah but they were like, his friends adds, right like they were right, classically trained <laughs> right it's like it's a testament to like how fun this movie is because like this should be a no watch like this should be terrible like if you just like oh yeah some dude in new jersey like got his stoner buddies together and made a movie for 27 grand you'd be like oh great i'll never watch that but <laughs> this movie's really fun and like it's it's kind of a miracle that it worked because I'm sure there was other people doing this. I mean, some there's, I'm sure there was other submissions to Sundance that year that were equally low budget. I mean, I have no idea really, but I don't know. I just think the movie's really charming. And I think all the limitations, both skill level and availability of um, material and, and filming locations, I think it really just kind of all comes together in this beautiful little stew. That's just kind of fun to fun to chew on for a while. I don't know. It works for me. I know I'm probably not the only one to feel this way when I share my my theory or my thoughts even growing up of, of the black and white. I, of course, we know it was for you know, budgetary reasons, but I always felt it was, it was like us watching them through the security camera, like security camera. Oh, okay. Footage. That's how <laughs> yeah. I always oh, I interpreted it. Like we're now again, it's not specifically a, a camera. They do move and have different angles, but it's like us seeing what you would see if you were watching that tape. And that that's kind of how I always justified that style and i just that's how it felt right to me i don't know if you guys agree or even think that's a cool interpretation <laughs> no i think it works and it's i mean another complaint of kevin smith is that he doesn't do much with the camera and so if he were to use that as an explanation at least it would 
you know, it would validate the reason <laughs> he doesn't ever move the damn camera. I, hmm. We know why he doesn't. Like, he just doesn't have the budget or the time or even maybe the skill level to do it. That wasn't his concern. His concern was telling the story, but. He's got me on PR, you know? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Get that out there how many years later, you know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the limitations kind of breed creativity. They always have. You know, so when you you like constrain someone, they tend to be able to do their best work. It's probably why this is, I think, his best movie, right? I, I, we've seen, have we all seen a number of other Kevin Smith movies? It's been a um, while. I mean, I enjoyed them at the time, some of them, but again, it was just continuing a saga, like, because Jay and Silent Bob would always have a role, be like, oh yeah, those are the guys, you, yeah. know? But, yeah. you know? But I don't think any of them really jumped out of me, but I haven't mm -hmm. seen them in ages. Yeah, th so. they're they're not not quite as good apparently the the walrus film wasn't bad um but the, oh yeah yeah but, which is definitely not a jay and silent bob movie but uh they just feel a lot lazier than this and i think it's just the fact that he was forced to work within constraints um kind of disciplined him a lot i mean i know the um the the funeral parlor scene was originally written and they couldn't do it because they just didn't have the they didn't have the money or the time to do that uh so i you know we, we see this always with artists right once they once the uh the handcuffs are put on they end up creating a lot better once they have no constraint and they feel their geniuses and they could just do whatever they want um we we get some kind of you know like like uh, Fellini's Roma or, or one of these movies where you're like, you know, or not Roma, uh, Satricon. If anybody's seen Fellini's Satricon, it's like, like a three hour technicolor gay epic that I, I don't think makes a lick of sense. And it's kind of hard to watch. Um, but, uh, for, for a number of reasons, uh, but this is for all the constraints and for the fact that he can't, you know, move the camera or do anything really interesting with it, um, you know, kind of forces him to, do a bunch of like little scenes like this sort of break it up using the title cards which eh, sometimes works sometimes is a little you know like the lament title card is a little much that he's you know complaining about his girlfriend um i thought the one title card that made me really laugh was harbinger do you remember that one what was it before oh um, i i remember <laughs> i i said 11 because that's the amount i remembered um <laughs> but harbinger was the title card that came on just before the old guy comes in to go to the bathroom mm. oh. okay so i you know in hey, retrospect <laughs> yeah in retrospect after seeing the movie like actually that's pretty funny that they call that scene harbinger <laughs> um but yeah i think it, it is a testament to restriction as being uh helpful in, in great works and also um collaboration like how important collaboration is for things like this i agree that 100 percent. that's why i show sundance because i feel like this movie really represents mm -hmm. what you can do mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah and it goes back to ben what you were saying earlier where kevin smith probably had a lifetime to craft this film and then a big studio is like oh yeah here's a big budget and a crew and this and do your wit and make it work and you know, he literally just went to a, a building bigger than a convenience store. He's like, what's bigger than a, what's similar to, but bigger than a convenience store. Oh, I've got just the place. <laughs> it's also the same kind of thing though. Like I also remember in eighth grade hanging out at the mall. 
Like you know, oh, no, yeah. no intention of buying anything. I definitely saw mall like back in the day. I definitely saw mall rats on multiple viewings and did enjoy it. I don't know what I would think about a watch now. I really don't. Maybe one day I'll find out. Part of that same kind of like post grunge, going into hot topic uh, thing, you know. They at least uh, got a good actor to join the crew. Well, a couple of mm-hmm. them actually, but. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's why my first experience with Michael Rooker, I think, is Mall Rats. Yeah. But yeah. He was in that. Tyler and I will be back for the Mall Rats. We'll just do all the Kevin Smith movies. Mm. <laughs> I think there's a brief cameo by Matt Damon before it was it wouldn't count as a cameo because nobody knew who he was. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't I'm not sure. He's in the band or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's in like a back room or something like that. There's just a little there's a sliver of Damon right there. <laughs> a great band name Mm. sliver of damon (laughs) (laughs) it's time for movie rent i thought you guys might want to know what the bonus question would have been if we went to uh you know extra innings Mm -hmm. go for it so a roofer listens to his heart and not his wallet what was the name of this roofer's company (laughs) Oh God, I have no idea. Three pointer, oh, it would have been. Wow, well, it's a deep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I remember Baby Faced Bambino was the gangster, but I don't remember the roofer company. What, yeah, what was it called? Got... It was Done and Ready Home Improvements. Oh, yeah. I did not know that right. for many many years. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And sometimes you gotta you gotta break yeah. up a, a tie, but. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the only one of the things from the trivia that I like the most out of here is that uh, Jason Reitman told Kevin Smith that this movie is what made him want to be a director. And Kevin Smith was like, You're the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed <laughs> Ghostbusters and Stripes. And I'm the one that made you want to be a director. Like, I, I just love that so much. Um, and then just to kind of echo something Tyler had mentioned earlier, Kevin Smith, as I think we've established, is a really good storyteller. And if anyone has the time, go find his story about getting hired by Prince to shoot oh a documentary. It is mm-hmm. just, it, you, I don't know. I love it so much. I've watched it a few times. It's definitely worth it. I got to look that up oh, after the show. It is, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's better than this movie. <laughs> yeah. His story about meeting John Peters. Did you ever hear that one? I don't, I don't think so. Where he's going to hire John Peters. Where John Peters is going to hire him to write a script for Superman. Oh, oh, wait, oh yes, 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 yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. He's like, yeah, he wants him to get rid of the too. costume. <laughs> oh, that one is so good too. That's a, yeah, that's another really funny yeah. story. Uh, he's a he's. I like listening to Kevin Smith talk. Mm. He 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 spins a yarn. It's mm. it's good stuff. Yeah, he's good I haven't guy. done it recently, but back in the day, I definitely did listen to some of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we want to call them speeches, <laughs> but whatever it is, yeah. yeah. Like, like stand-up comedy. Is it though? But it's more of like him just talking, right? Yeah, it's sort of. It's a little bit Mark Twain-esque. Mark Twain used to do something like that back, back in the back, back in the day. But (laughs) when he was alive, if my dad was Ivan Reitman, I might be more inspired by Kevin Smith because it is more accessible, right? Like you're like, Mm -hmm. oh wait, I could make something like that. I can't make Ghostbusters, but I could make Clerks. (laughs) Yeah. So in some ways, it does make sense. But you would think that he would have been you know influence a little closer to home than evan smith and clerks <laughs> yeah you also don't want to do exactly what your dad did right True. <laughs> like you always you know that's that must be a like a real burden to bear if your dad's like a hollywood heavyweight and you want to go into that business 
Because um, everyone else is comparing you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, right. yeah. So I, I could see somebody trying to do like the the gritty and the nasty to get out from under that that shadow. Totally. I did have one other thing I wanted to bring up, especially since our uh, guests today do not come from New Jersey like the rest mm. of us. True. We always like I wasn't sure if we just had a Jersey bias because it was like one of ours made it big. Was there anything there or you could appreciate it even if you weren't from the Garden State? Which is New Jersey. <laughs> right. I was, I've, I've always been all in, man. And, it, and a lot of it has to do with because, like I said, it sort of mirrored experiences I'd had, like places I'd worked and conversations I'd had. And, and also it was just like, you know, we're from Utah. So like no one's from Utah. Like no one that you've <laughs> ever heard of is from Utah. Mm-hmm. And so everyone that we, that we looked up to was from somewhere else so that didn't really make a difference to me personally and it was like it was punk rock it was cool it was the thing you're not supposed to watch it was mm-hmm. you know it was it was all yeah. those cool things so yeah i feel like i uh subscribe to the the jason reitman theory it's like oh if this guy can do it maybe i can do it too and i mm-hmm. think that's awesome yeah another thing i was in uh interested in too was was randall and the the different view world views of randall and uh dante um because i think like randall to me but like my word was responsibility and randall to me is somebody who to a certain degree uh accepts responsibility but accepts it in this kind of bizarre way um in the in the fact that he's like he doesn't blame anyone else for his circumstance and he's perfectly happy with it and Dante is just his refrain is, you know, I wasn't supposed to be here today, meaning um, somebody else is responsible for all my problems. And I, I liked Randall for that. I think Randall is like this, you know, sort of the the hero of the movie because he can, he's the person who kind of can accept his station more than anyone else. Um, totally. Yeah which made him, I, I, you know, kind of an admirable character compared to Dante, who, God, by the end of it, he's hard. To, <laughs> he's kind of yeah. hard to stomach. Um, he's such a bummer. <laughs> I was going to say, from an actor perspective, I actually thought Randall delivered the lines the best in the film, too. Like, some of yeah. them were, like, literally, I've never read on camera before, mm. but I felt like he still was able to really drive that wit home. Yeah, I agree, and I think he his speech there at the end with you know their conversation that they have i think really hits home and i agree i think a lot of it is just like how well he's able to deliver it and we connect with them i had something i was gonna say and i'm hoping one of you says something that reminds me what it was i promise you it was worth it <laughs> it's really gonna it's, tie the yeah. whole episode together really too, great Tyler. stuff but <laughs> yeah because i i did my movie rant too early in the episode so <laughs> yeah. i've got nothing Threw you to off say. Your pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I was like Randall is is completely defiant to authority. Um, you know, we we talked about this sometimes. Like, there's this, you know, like the carnival, which is this sort of inverting of roles, where you know, or the Saturnalia, this inverting of roles, where the servants are in charge for a day or whatnot. And Randall is just, and then it goes back to normal afterwards. Um, Randall is sort of just living in that life. He is sort of. Uh, he is in charge of, of his circumstance. He likes to kind of mock the customers, which is a sort of inversion of, of those roles. Um, and I like how towards the beginning too, he says like, yeah, it's, I, I like a hierarchy, especially when I'm in charge, which is, you know, also, it's also like a very postmodern thing to say, to be like, hierarchy is great if I'm on top and I'm just going to admit that and, and 
you know, live in that reality. Well, he's the king of his own kingdom, which is only the video store. This decrepit, and he's, but he's not really. Failing. I mean, it's like somebody. Store. No, he's working that, for somebody, but no and one there else are is there. customers, and presumably you're beholden to the customers. Not he, in his world. Yeah, he just isn't <laughs> right. He's just kind of living this this kind of carnivalesque existence, and I, you know, and he's kind of okay with power structures simply because he's in charge in this brief moment and actually he doesn't seem to really care if it ever gets stripped away from him um yeah i think randall is the spirit of this movie more than anyone else yeah he almost seems like he's just waiting for it to catch up to him and for him to be fired and, and cut loose you know what i mean like he he that that's kind of the vibe i got he's like I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm going to say whatever I want and I'm going to get along with, get away with it for as long as I can. I don't care about this place mm -hmm. at all. They pay me. I get to watch TV. So like <laughs> maybe if I get in trouble and fired, I'll grow up. But until then I'm going to ride this gravy train. <laughs> yeah. He's probably the only one. Well, I don't want to say he's the only one that's truly content, but I guess he's the most content. <laughs> I don't know. Then again, Jay and Simon Jay's, Bob seem pretty content in their roles too. Jay yeah. seems pretty chill. He's he's all right yeah, with where yeah, things yeah. are at. <laughs> Let me flip it. Dante's the only one who's not. <laughs> right. Know? Veronica isn't either. Well, she wants True. to improve herself, though. I shouldn't say, but mm. she's all she's actually making an effort to improve herself and actually try to improve Dante, which seems like uh not necessarily, not necessarily the best use of her resources or love or end affection. <laughs> she should direct that elsewhere because it's going, it's not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then what's her name is also trying to kind of move ahead. Um, uh, Caitlin Bree, right? She doesn't want to get married because she wants a career. Uh, so she also has this kind of ambition. It's odd though, because like ambition is just, whenever ambition walks into that store you could tell it doesn't belong there <laughs> you know like, oh, like it's an outsider. yeah yeah veronica like gets dumped despite doing despite transferring schools and it just doesn't work out for her right you know she can't get this guy to, to cope so she leaves and it seems like the same with caitlin caitlin walks in to this place she has this ambition to do something and have a career and she's gonna you know sleep with this guy because He's easy. It seems like Dante is somebody she well, kind he's of walk. He's easy. Yeah, he, he, she can walk all over him. <laughs> so why not? Um, and of course, what ends up happening to her is, you know, she gets her life is ruined by by trying to, you know, come into the space. It's like it, the entire space is about non movement. It's about not going anywhere with your life. And if you're going to walk into this this store. Um, and with, with the expectation that you can somehow drag something positive out of this store, it's just gonna hurt you, right? You know? And so the only people who belong there are either Dante, who seems to be blind to the fact, in part because he just, he can't do anything with his life. He's completely static. Or Randall, who's perfectly fine being static, and Jay and Silent Bob, who are sort of able to laugh at everything and make enough money to, to smoke weed and get laid, as they say at the end. What else do you need? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> nowadays that sounds pretty good, honestly. <laughs> Sign me up. So maybe it yeah. did age well. This film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think like all middle-aged people are trying to find their way into the store to slow yeah. things down. <laughs> yeah.
I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, Ben. Just when I thought Tyler was going to take it down, I realized math. You know, math. <laughs> so yeah, damn gotcha. it, math. Congrats, Ben. The source of all the problems in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's been since elementary school. I don't want to carry the one. <laughs> you can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Are you more of a Dante or a Randall? Let us know on Twitter talking pictures trivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 thanks again ben for and tyler for joining us today it was great having you on yeah thanks so much for having us uh this was a blast i mean i'll, I'll be back for sure we'll be back for mall rats um but yeah you, if you want to follow me you can find me anywhere at benny burrito uh, I am part of a podcast where we cover A24 movies called 24 Minutes of A24. So you can find us anywhere online there. And then I have one with Tyler and our friend Matt, but I'm going to let Tyler do those plugs. Yeah, so that podcast is three films and a podcast. Uh, the idea being we pick a theme and then we pick the three of us each pick a movie around that theme and we watch it and we discuss. And then we'll do fun stuff like movie drafts and recasts and just random movies, watch parties, that sort of stuff. Um, you can find us anywhere on social media at three films pod. Um, our website is three films pod.com. And uh, if you need more of me and Lord knows, I wouldn't blame you. You can find <laughs> me on the socials at uh, Bob chillin with an underscore at the end. Some lucky jerk has it without the underscore. Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. I know. At That's what cost? Right. At what cost? Right. Right. Yeah. Probably way too much. <laughs> I'll just keep the underscore. I just wanted to say again, I really appreciate uh, you guys coming on our show and allowing us to come on here. It's super fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really like this format. It's real fun. I you, I did way better on my last time on the show. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully next time I come back on, mm -hmm. I'll be able to answer a question yes. or two. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on the show and having us when we, we get to come on. Um, I also recommend for three films, uh, there is a recasting of Batman and Robin episode. Speaking of Batman fever that's going on right now, everybody's seeing this movie. If you want to uh, use your Batman fever in a nostalgic Joel Schumacher, somewhat ravey kind of way, check out three films on a podcast, Batman and Robin recast. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Good episode. Good episode. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I am. You're welcome. Uh, I'm. I'm Tom. What's What's my Twitter again? I'm so bad at Twitter. I, I hate it so hard. Uh, yeah, my Twitter is Thomas Layman fifteen. Um, at Twitter, as you can probably infer, uh, you could also catch our uh, Talking Pictures trivia B side, where we we delve into the movies in a little more detail. And then we're going to have Ben on to talk about the Batman, the the Matt Reeves film that just came out as of this recording so check that out as well very excited can you also say that in the past tense because i don't remember if oh, this was yeah, coming out before or after you may we, remember we, ben or ben just joined us for because yes. i don't uh, know the order <laughs> audience we have no idea in what order these are being released so uh thank you ben for having come on our the batman episode it was a lot of fun i had a great time and i'm really looking forward to it
Yeah, yeah. insights you had. Not because I want this to happen to you, but I just hope you just have a terrible experience on that episode. And that's the only <laughs> response that you have locked in. I just <laughs> I actually want that to happen, but that's just too funny. Yeah. I can also be found on Twitter at the nicknamed. Join us next time when we continue our discussion about movies that define directors when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1975, Nashville. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Hey. Next week, we'll be discussing Nashville. Tom, how was your watch? I saw this movie, I think initially in 2005. I saw it with a professor that actually Pat has taken a few classes with. And I really loved it then. And I actually don't believe I've seen it since then. So it's been almost 20 years since I've seen this movie. And I had a great time. I think a better time than when I initially watched it. When I initially watched it, it was one of those uh, doing shows and watching the movie at 1 a.m. and realizing it was almost three hours long and being really mad because I wanted to go to bed but couldn't because of this damn assignment. And so I don't think I really got much out of it in the first viewing, but I had a wonderful second viewing and, and third viewing this week. I love this movie. I think my favorite Altman film was McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And I, I think now after watching this, this is my favorite. I, I think I think there's literally not one scene in this that I didn't enjoy completely. Pat, how was your first view? So yeah, as Tom mentioned, I took the I took a bunch of classes with a professor in college who and I think he he loves, I think, Nashville and he loves Altman in general. And I know he loves uh, Nashville. So I, so I've heard him talk about it and I've seen, when I took a class with him, we watched Gosford Park, um, which is also Altman. And then I watched for, for that class, I was going to write a paper on Altman and I watched uh, Prairie Home Companion, which is not very good. Uh, so I figured it's a bad idea to write a paper on a bad movie. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do it. Um, and I, so I, that's the only experience I have with Altman and yeah, I kind of Nashville has just been a movie that I've known is out there, but I've never actually watched it. So like Tom, I went to go watch it, but like Tom in college, I started it at, I was going to start it at 5am this morning and get up early to watch it. And then I saw that how long it was and set my alarm clock for an hour earlier so I could finish it before the kids woke up. So yeah, it's a, it's a very long movie, but I agree with Tom. I really, I really, really liked this movie. I would, I agree. I don't think there was a single scene that I disliked. I really enjoyed the film. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, Andy, what about you? Well, I had not seen it before. Um, and I don't think I've seen, I was just checking. I don't think I've seen any other uh, Robert Altman movies. So I'm definitely a novice in the Altman territory. And I would say that I didn't like this movie almost at all. And I didn't like it because I didn't think I was getting it. Like there was something that I was missing. So I'm looking forward to this discussion to fill in the reasons why I might enjoy it on the second viewing. Um, but, uh, but I mostly spent the movie wondering why they made it. But, I, but, I, but I'm excited for the discussion. Nick? Similar to Andy, I, I think I'm more in his camp than I am Tom and Pat. This movie was just not made for me. I don't think it was necessarily a bad film. It's just not a film that really grabbed me. And I get, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, that it's more about the scenes versus the characters that go in and out of the scenes. But it was just very long 
And it probably didn't help that I'm not very big into country music too. So it just wasn't for me. I mean, and again, there's movies that I'll say like were horrible. I think I give them a lot of credit for weaving everything in and out and actually like orchestrating the whole thing. But it just was not a movie I would watch again. Let's just put it that way. And I think we're going to have a really fun episode next week especially when there's varying viewpoints.